My message this morning is, what does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to be a friend? So I'll kick this off with a story. A soldier asked his officer if he could go out into no man's land between the trenches in World War I to bring back a seriously wounded comrade. The officer told him that he could go, but that it would not be worth it, as the man would probably be dead and the soldier could be killed as well. Nevertheless, the soldier went. He managed to get to his friend and carry him back to the trenches. The two of them fell into the trench, bottomed together. The officer looked sadly on the would-be rescuer and said, I told you it wouldn't be worth it. He's dead and you're mortally wounded. It was worth it though, sir, said the soldier. How was it worth it? Your friend is dead. Sir, it was worth it because when I got to him, he was still alive and he said, Jim, I knew you'd come. And that's what a friend does, and that's what Jesus did for us in our despair, in our sin, in our hopelessness. He left the safety of heaven and came to us. What depths would you go to to save a friend? What would you do to reach an unsaved friend with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, the second half of the verse. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some, and this I do for the gospel's sake. I'll take whatever, it is, whatever it's in my power to do. I'll go wherever it's in my power to go. I'll say whatever I need to say to reach people for Jesus Christ. The only thing I won't do is enter into sin with them. Is that our testimony? Nothing should keep us from wanting to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends. Most people are invited to come to a personal relationship by a friend. In other words, there's a lot of methodology on how to win people for Christ. What's the most effective way? Latest research says two out of three of the recent adults, new members of growing churches, first attended at the invitation of a friend or a relative. In other words, ch churches grow when people invite them to come. It's not the pastor's job. It's all of our job. The people with whom you come in contact. There are a number of people in this congregation who when they go to the store and they meet somebody, they share many things with them and one of the different things that they do is invite them to come to church. And we have an opportunity to reach folks for Christ. And so we would encourage you to think along those lines. You're the most effective method of reaching your family and friends for Jesus. It isn't what somebody's doing on television. It isn't any giant mass meeting uh, by, an, uh, by an evangelist that does it. Those who reach out for family and friends become the bridges of God, the bridges of God, in helping the unsaved and unchurched cross over into the Christian life. A well-known evangelist shares this, quote, winning new people to Christ <clears throat> is more often the result of personal one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Sometimes when I have a large audience, I take a survey by asking, quote, how many of you are Christians today because of hearing a great sermon? At most, two or three hands go up. I then ask, how many, how many are Christians because of hearing the gospel on a radio or a TV show? Again, there might be a hand or two raised. Then I ask, 
How many of you are Christians today because some ordinary person cared about you, loved you, and would not let you go until you gave your life to Christ? It's then that a sea of hands go up. It's obvious that personal evangelism is by far the primary instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to share the gospel. Who's more effective, the people you see on television evangelism or you in winning your family and friends to Jesus Christ? They know you. They see you. They watch you. They see how you go through the ups and downs of life. They see how you handle difficulty and sickness and disappointment and anger. And in watching you, if you're living for Christ, they see something different. You're not perfect. Well, P.S., neither are they. But in our imperfection, we're able to reach people for Jesus Christ by our personal testimony. And so you and I have to turn our passion and our compassion for people into action. Jesus and his disciples went out of their way to invite others to follow him. And the perfect model of this inviting pattern is found in the Gospel of John. So you have Bibles in your front pew, uh, a pew in front of you. Please turn to John chapter 1, and it's verses 40 to 45, and then keep your Bible open to that point. John chapter 1, and we're reading verses 40 to 45 at this point. And this is the way Jesus encouraged his disciples to win others. John 1, verse 40 to 45. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to go a little further as we come into the message. Here's verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which by interpretation is a stone. Verse 43, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, findeth Philip, and said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and said unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 40, as soon as Andrew found Christ, he told somebody. He told his closest human being, his brother. Told his brother about Jesus. New Christians are excited about finding Christ. That's my experience. When someone comes to Jesus for the first time, and hopefully they understand the only time, but when they come to Jesus and they're new Christians, they're excited. They want to share Jesus with other people. That's a prime opportunity for them to go and say, something wonderful has happened in my life. I'm not living the way I used to. I'm not thinking the way I used to. I have found Jesus Christ, and he's begun to change my life, and I want to share him with you. When you find something great, don't you want to share it with your family and friends? I can't think of too many uh, people I knew in New York who were, who were Epicureans. They loved food. And any time they found a wonderful restaurant, they couldn't wait to get back to the office on Monday and tell everybody, this is the best roast beef, this is the best fill-in-the-blank, the best salmon, the best pizza, the best lasagna. Everybody would do that. It was amazing. That's called word of mouth. 
And you know, the word of mouth is the most effective way that people in sales and marketing have to gain new customers and strengthen their grip on other customers. When somebody who's not working for the company says to somebody else, this, I'm using this stuff. It's the greatest that you can ever paint. Just think of paint. If you think of paint, don't forget to think of Jeff. <laughs> but Jeff, I mean, if you had a big customer, a big distributor, a big dealer who would go around telling people how wonderful your product was, would that help you? Definitely, your sales would increase because when people get excited about something, they want to tell other people. Have we lost our sense of excitement about being Christians? Are we still enthusiastic as we were when we were fresh in the faith? I think some of us have gotten a little off on that. All four of the people who, who, uh, who, who came to Jesus Christ were led by somebody else, which shows us behind every believer stands another believer. Behind every believer stands another believer. All four were in search of the Lord, and he found them. Think about that. Go looking for the Lord, and he finds you. You thought you were going to find him? He comes to you. Proverbs 1, 17, those that seek me early shall find me. And Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Can you imagine the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe, the God who spoke and all that we see around us became alive. Creation, that God in the form of man came to earth, leaving the throne of heaven, leaving the majesty of being out there over it all. And he chose to come in human flesh and be subject to, to man's inhumanity for you, out of love for you. That's an exciting story to, some, to tell somebody, that somebody loved you that much. The four people that, uh, that we read in our text were different from one another, as different as those people you have in your life whom God has called for you to reach. Andrew was a practical, level-headed guy. You know people like this. You know, he looked at things and said, well, yeah, A plus B is just, you know, that kind of guy. Peter was quite different. Peter was hot-tempered, and he was impulsive. Do you know anybody like that? And I'm not thinking of Ralph Cramden. Philip was skeptical and materialistic. He would hear stuff, and he would hardly believe it. He needed more proof type of a guy. And then Nathaniel was quiet, almost invisible to the people around him. And Jesus singled him out. Look at John 1, 46 to 51, and we'll continue. John 1, 46. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under a fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under a fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto him, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Verse 47, Jesus, like a true friend, 
looks for the best in us, and he brings out the best in us. So many people are nitpickers. So many people want to find your weakness, your flaw, and they want to put their finger right in the middle of it and dig at it and pick at it and make your flaw worse than it is. But how many of us are in the business of lifting people up? That's what Jesus was. He took people as they were. Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, just the way they were. He knew that down the line they had to change. But he also knew that he was going to be with them to change them and help them to change. Do we celebrate the good of our friends or are we looking for uh, their shortcomings? Jesus sees in the quiet and preserved Nathaniel an honesty others may have missed. Jesus said Nathaniel was without guile. That means without deceit. He was an honest guy. What America needs today is a few honest people. Amen? I mean, we really could use a bunch of honest people in Washington and in Trenton and anywhere where people are in political power. They have so much influence. We pray and we, we, we would desire that they would use their influence for what's good. Nathaniel was an honest, good man, but as honest and good as he was, like all of us, he needed a savior. Being a good person, being an honest person, having a string of wonderful qualities following you in your life is not enough to save you from hell. You need Christ Jesus. And this is the message we have to tell. Our heart's desire is that people would, have, would be heaven-bound not hellbound. That they would recognize that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. We should not be ashamed of that. That idea that, well, a God of love would never create hell. A God of love did not create hell for you and for me or anybody. He meant it for the, for the angels who had fallen out of heaven and did terrible things. What he meant for us was a way to escape hell through Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave us all in that pursuit, came to seek and to save those who were lost, and that was each and every one of us. Verse 48, like a true friend, Jesus is watching out for us. Nathaniel was under a fig tree. Was he hiding? Was he meditating? Was he hurting? Was he in despair? And what does Jesus say? I saw you. The other day when you were feeling so terrible, the other day when you were feeling like all was lost. The other day when you were feeling hopeless. The other day when you felt life was not worth living. The other day when you felt that things would never change. The other day, whenever that was, when you felt despair and disappointment and distress and you wanted to throw it all in. Guess what? Jesus saw you under that fig tree of despair. And he wanted to let you know that he's calling out to help you. He wants to be right by your side. He wants to pull you up and take you into his everlasting arms and protect you from yourself and from the things that would bring you despair. We can't do this by ourselves. This is why the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts, because we need a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's Christ. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord of the Lord are every place. Can't hide, good, bad, or otherwise. Proverbs, Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears 
open to their cries. And so when you were in the middle of that down and you thought you were crying out to the Lord, you were. But did you know, did you believe, did you understand, was it in your heart to recognize that he was listening and that he was going to get you through this? True friends are a valuable gift from God. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a, great, a good reward for their labor. In other words, there's a return on your investment as a friend. Imagine, here it is, verse 10. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him out. When you're truly alone, when you've cut off all your friends and all those people who love you, and you're there by yourself, you are actually alone. If you've abandoned the Lord, you're paying the price for deciding that you were better, you could do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. Life's not fair. Life's got too many twists and turns. You never know what's around the corner. I used to put it this way, and you've probably heard me if you've been around long enough. You could be loping along at work. You could be doing your thing, and the telephone rings. And you go over to the telephone. Life is fine. You left the house. Everything was good. And you walk over to the telephone. Everything is good. And you pick up the phone, and you hear your spouse on the other end in tears. And you just get a piece of news that is life-shaking. And you feel like your world has collapsed. Do it without the Lord and you really are alone. But do it with the Lord and you can cry out to him and he will help you. He will console you. He will comfort you. He will dry your tears. You need your tears. Nobody's saying don't cry. I, hear, I see too many times on television in some of these movies, they say to the little kid, don't cry. They say to the little woman, don't cry. They say to the person, don't cry. Cry. You need it. God gave you those tears. They're therapeutic. But you're a big man. Eh, listen, I've seen some movies, and I've heard some things that have brought me to tears. But when you have a friend, and Jesus is a wonderful friend, are there people in your life who will lift you up when you fall? Uh, there are those who will be lifted up by you when they fall. One of the highest honors as a pastor, one of the highest honors for me is, get, is to get a phone call from you or a text from you telling me that you need prayer and sharing with me what it is that's got you feeling the way you feel. And I just want to be the kind of pastor that says, I'm here for you. When you ask me to pray, I'll stand with you. When you ask me to come, I'll sit with you. And I'll do my best to be a representative of Jesus Christ and an ambassador for him in your life. Verse 49, Nathanael saw and accepted Jesus for who he was. Jesus was the promised Messiah, and he never waved from that truth. Jesus always maintained he was a promised Messiah. He wasn't intimidated by the highest courts in the land or the highest political powers in the Roman Empire to say that he was not God's son. Horrific beatings, sufferings of the cross could not change Jesus' claims to be God. He never pretended to be somebody he wasn't in order to save his own life. He was who he was. He is who he is. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Amen. Amen. 
Yeah, that'll wake you up a little bit. Time for me to become Pentecostal. Some of you may not get that. Some of you will get that. <laughs> All right, Mom, keep it down over there. <laughs> Jesus sees who we are. We can't pretend to be somebody or something else. He knows us. Psalm 103, verse 14. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Dust on its own only makes a mess. God knows our strengths, weaknesses, insecurities, fears, worries, stresses, joys, sorrows, challenges, opportunities, and he knows our sin, and we can't pretend to God. But can we see our friends are just like us, and can we accept them for who they are? I found this uh, wonderful list of the marks of a friend, and it said author unknown, so I can't accredit it to anybody except to say author unknown. Here are some marks. It goes from A to Z. So it begins with an A and works its way down to Z. Now, if you had PowerPoint, you'd see these things. So A, a friend accepts you as you are. Well, how else? Jesus' disciples were all flawed candidates. Not a one of them was perfect. In fact, is this not the greatest resume for an evangelist? The greatest resume for an evangelist is... I murdered Christians, I burned down their buildings, I slaughtered them in their sleep. Every chance I got, I took to wipe out the Christian faith wherever I could find it. This is a great resume for an evangelist. Amen, amen, amen? Well, of course it isn't. You would never select that man, Saul, to be your evangelist. But God did. Think about that. Be. Your friend believes in you. Are there people in your life who believe in you? Jesus believes in you. C, calls to say hi. You know, some, one of the beautiful things about relationships are it's the little things. Not necessarily the big things. But a lot of times the little things you do that makes a difference in your relationship. That phone call, just when you feel you need it. I've told you many, many times, I've gotten phone calls from people who said, Pastor, I just felt you needed a prayer, a, a prayer time with me. And I did. D, your friend doesn't give up on you. Our faith walk is a process. It's a process. What you're doing as a, as a Christian, hanging on, it's a process. Giving up, you stop the process. Don't give up. E, encourages you in your walk with Christ. Some people add to your faith. Some people subtract from their faith because of their attitudes and because of their way. Some Christians that you look up to, they disappoint you. It doesn't help you on your faith walk. Many people we've seen over the last couple of years who are famous Christians have fallen by the wayside. Did that help the cause of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. F. Your friend forgives your mistakes, not just once. Because if people forgave me for my mistakes and the things that I've done once, well, I, I'm already way over my mark, way over my limit. G, gives, not just takes. Relationships should work both ways. H, helps, not hinders. Helps. Invites you over. J, just wants to be with you. 
when you need someone to stand beside and hold you up, that person is willing to be there. K, keeps you close at heart. Many acquaintances, but few friends. Amen, you know that? A lot of people say, well, I know so-and-so. I hear a lot of people say, well, my friend so-and-so. You never heard from them after 20 years. Not sure. People who, who went to this church 50 years ago and never came after that still consider this their home church. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the truth. And that's true around a lot of churches. L, loves you for who you are. Doesn't try to change you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. M, makes a difference in your life, is an example, is a role model, is a mentor. Not of perfection. I say this a million times because I think too many people expect perfection. Not that way, but just as a role model. How is that person living out his or her faith right now? N, never judges. Jesus said, don't judge. It'll soon be your turn. O, offers support. Physical, emotional, spiritual. P, prays for you. You have a prayer partner in that person or a prayer warrior. I love both of those. I covet those. People who tell me there's a dear brother who, whose physical abilities no longer allow him to come to church, but he prays for me every single day. And he tells me. And he reminds me. And I'm so happy for that. Q, quiets your fears. R, raises your spirits. S, shares Jesus' truth doesn't diminish them, adds to your faith, shares his faith. T, tells the truth when you need to hear it. Proverbs says that the wounds of a brother cut out the cancer. They're healing. People closest to you, these days, nobody wants to tell us the truth to our face. They'd rather, you know, behind your back, talk about you and say all the things that you really need to hear in their face because it would help me be better. U understands you. V values you. W walks beside you. X explains things you don't understand. This is a friend. Y yells when you won't listen. Ma <laughs> yells when you won't listen. And finally, Z zaps you back to reality. It's not about you. It's the truth. So from A to Z, those are the marks of a friend. No one friend can have all of these things. But when you have a friend who has any of these things, value them. And being a friend, will you reciprocate? Will you do your level best to give in a relationship and encourage? Again, no one person could have all the qualities I just listed except one. And that's your best friend, Jesus Christ. Proverbs 18, 24. And there is a friend. That sticketh closer than a brother. We know who that is. And Jesus said this in John 15, 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of, of my Father, I have made known unto you. Jesus is your friend. Are you his friend? Do you know him in a personal way? Do you know the Jesus who hung on that cross and was buried in the ground and rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God the Father? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed your sin to Jesus Christ? Have you said to him, Lord, I know that I am a sinner. 
I know I've done the wrong stuff. Please forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you were buried in the ground. I believe you rose again. And I claim those truths and ask you to come into my heart and help me to follow Jesus. Help me to follow you each and every day. If you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, if you recognize, recognize him as the true God of all your life and make him your Lord and Savior, he's in here. And because he's in here, he can make a change in your life. Chuck Colson says that after you have been born again, then you need to have fellowship with other believers to help you build up your faith. Chuck Colson writes these words, Christians are not lone rangers. We need the fellowship of one another in order to grow and to stand fast in our faith walk. Christian friends can warm your heart and lift your spirit. This is why from time to time, I ask those who are watching, if you're in this area, you need to come to church. We need to embrace you. We need to love you. We need to, you need to adopt us and we need to adopt you. We need to be prayer partners. We need to be prayer warriors. We need to be together. But the fact that you're here this morning and the fact that some are on the telephone and others are on live stream, but I'm not sure about that. But whatever there is, they're on live stream. Okay, whatever it is, that we can be together and encourage one another. Closing story. Blessed be the tie that binds. John Fawcett was converted as a teenager listening to George Whitfield. He joined the Baptists. He should have joined the Brethren. Was ordained on July 31st, 1765. He began pastoring a poor church in Waynesgate, finding time here and there for writing. His writings spread abroad, and the little church feared that they would lose their pastor <clears throat> to a larger place. Fawcett wondered the same thing, lamenting in his diary that his family was growing faster than his income. <clears throat> the call came from London's famous Carter's Lane Church. Think of it, Fawcett told his wife. They want us in London to take the place of the late Dr. Gill at that great church. It's almost unbelievable. The following Sunday, he broke the news to his church, then began packing books, dishes, pictures, furniture were crated over the were being prepared for creating overland journey to the world's largest city. When the day of departure came, church members assembled and bravely tried to hold their tears. Finally, everything was loaded but one box. And Foster entered the house to retrieve it. There he found his wife deep in thought. John, she said, voice breaking, do you think we're doing the right thing? Will we ever find a congregation to love us and help us with the work the Lord has given us like this bunch here? Do you think we've been too hasty in this, John? Yes, I think we should stay right here and serve these people. John was silent for a moment, for his heart too had began breaking. He nodded. I was so overjoyed when the call came that I never really prayed about it like a minister should. They walked onto the porch, called the people together, revealed their change of heart, and amid joyous tears, unloaded their wagons. Fawcett stayed at Waynesgate the rest of his life, but not in obscurity. Out of this experience, he wrote a world-famous hymn. Anybody want to guess? goes like this. 
Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And now you know the rest of the story. Father God, we thank you for the privilege we have to have you as our friend, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You chose to be our friends. Lord, may we receive that invitation to be friends of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, and help us to share that truth with those who don't know Jesus, because knowing Christ and living for Christ and being a believer in Him is the most wonderful life anybody could ever really have. Now bless us as we close our time together in Jesus' name, amen.